The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas, we thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit. Hey everybody, happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. So glad you could join me today for the show. Got some interesting stuff coming up. We're going to talk to our friends at Samaritas about a problem that we have here in Michigan and frankly nationwide. Those we expect to care for our most vulnerable citizens are often the most underappreciated people out there. Home caregivers, people taking care of children, the elderly and the disabled need to be treated better. We're going to talk about what can be done in that regard with our friends from Samaritas on the program today. So stick around for that. Also, I had an opportunity earlier today to take a look at the progress being made at the new Mack Avenue assembly plant that Fiat Chrysler is putting together. Of course, it was announced a big fanfare just a few months ago. They have made a ton of progress. Got some interesting things that they've got on their agenda that I'll talk about a little bit later on. So that's all coming up on the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Stick around. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey, Craig here. Thanks for checking out the show today. As I mentioned in the intro, we are having problems filling jobs in the home health care world. People that are home caregivers to our most vulnerable citizens, we need more of them. Now, joining me right now to talk about it is Mary Mullet. She's the Vice President of Community Services for Samaritas. And in case you've heard that name before, yes, they do sponsor this program, but they asked me to see if I wouldn't mind talking about this. They are in the midst of a recruiting drive, trying to get people to get involved in a potentially rewarding career. Mary Mullet, welcome to the Craig Folly Show. It's a pleasure to have you with me today. Thank you. It's great to be here. I appreciate your time. Well, I, I think this is a very, very important topic because one of the things that has concerned me personally for a long time is that the people we have taking care of our most vulnerable citizens, that would be our young children and our elderly, are, are often uh, amongst the hardest to recruit. Uh, they, they require some significant training, uh, but we treat them... As a society, I think in general, they're, they're not paid for what the, the kind of work that we do. Uh, we put them in charge of some of our most important people, and we make it difficult to retain people in the profession. Uh, obviously, this is something that's got Samaritas' attention. Yeah, absolutely, Craig. So I would add to that. So certainly caring for our children, caring for our elderly, um, but also for our people with disabilities. That absolutely. Require, you know, some caregiving support to be able to be independent in the community and a contributing partner and, and participant in their community. Um, it's truly a, a crisis nationwide um, to find the, this workforce. And um, certainly in Michigan, that's no different. And certainly Samaritas, uh doesn't have all the answers to that problem either. We serve um, just over 70 individuals with disabilities, uh, intellectual and developmental disabilities in adult foster care homes across the state. We have 12 homes in in different locations. And we also provide um, at-home services um, at the to the tune of about 167,000 hours last year, we provided people services and support so that they could 
be at home in their own home, safe and secure and independent. Um, but it is becoming harder and harder for us as a provider and an employer to find um, qualified, interested individuals in um, Michigan across the state to provide those kinds of services to some of our most vulnerable in the communities, as you noted, some of the most important folks to, to provide support to. And I would I would say some of the most vulnerable. Well, and, and again, the, the federal government in, in numerous Supreme Court rulings and, and, and laws uh, basically suggest that people with disabilities are provided for in, quote, the most integrated setting appropriate to their needs. So that suggests a very high level of care, uh, one that makes people the most comfortable as possible. These are things that are demanded by the law. Are we able to deliver that on a consistent basis right now? Right. The ADA certainly speaks to that. It's uh, You're speaking to the Olmstead decision. And and we, we value as well at Samaritas having people be in their most home uh, like setting and the most um, integrated setting appropriate for their needs. And we can provide that support if we have the right people to support those individuals. That's where we struggle is to find the right people. And and that's not just Samaritas. That is across the state and across the nation. Um, folks are on waiting lists um, to receive these kinds of services. Um, and so, and we're hearing stories now. I heard a story outside of the state, um, a young adult who was in college um, requiring a caregiver or what we call in, in the business, a direct support professional um, to be able to get to and from college um, and do some of her daily care needs while she was in classes, um, lost some of her funding, some of her hours from the community mental health department supporting those hours and, and that service, um, and therefore was not going to be able to complete her degree. You know, that's a real tragedy because that's a uh, a citizen in that community who could contribute back to their community um, once they gain their degree in employment. Um, but when we can't provide support, folks folks like this student uh, rely on that support to be independent and to gain those types of degrees and be able to be employed. Well, and, and I want to, uh, Mary, if I, if I could put a little context in here as to, as to what we're talking about. I mean, this is not a need that is going to be shrinking anytime for, for qualified people to do this work. This is something, this is going to be one of the highest growth fields in terms of the number of employees uh, for the next decade or so, as as we you know see changes in demographics in the population, um, we're talking over a million new jobs potentially created in this field. But again, keeping people in the field has been incredibly difficult. So, so you know, when you are trying to plan ahead for this, how do you? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I think the the answer I have pops pops to the top of my head is you get creative, and that's what we're trying to do at Samaritas. We're trying to recreate um, who we're reaching out to, to say, do you have an interest in giving back and in, in creating some fulfillment in your current day to day by supporting these individuals that need your support? Um, you know, creativity is, is, is the only answer I have at this point, Craig, it's been a real, <laughs> it's been a real challenge. We've had this problem for years, but it's going to increase to your point um, about, I've heard stats of 1.2 million um, new jobs for this DSP, this direct support professional and caregiver kind of uh, position um, between now and 2026. That's that's an amazing amount of jobs that are open and needed. Um, and I would say we are lacking in seeing the workforce, the applicants come forward to fill that workforce need. Um, you know, we're doing things at Samaritas, like making sure folks know, it doesn't matter your age, your marital status, anything like that, you can come and work with these folks and make a difference. Um, I think uh, one of the things that is a strength of ours at, the, at Samaritas is really having 
such a committed workforce in this area that they really come to work every day because of the difference they can make. Um, and that's a blessing for us. Um, but also, right, it still doesn't fill all the slots needed, I guess I would say. Well, and I should remind folks, my guest right now is Mary Mullet, who is, of course, the vice president of community services at Samaritas. We're talking about what is really sort of emerging as an employment crisis for direct support professionals in this country. Uh, you know, you talked about uh, the, the sort of um, culture you've created at Samaritas that makes people excited to come to work. But nationally, I mean, we're talking about a turnover rate of 45%. More than half of all support professionals leave their jobs within a year. What's behind that? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think it, we can't, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about wages and reimbursement sure. when we're talking about why this is a struggle. You know, these are the field, direct field folks in our in our service lines. These are boots on the ground doing the doing the most important work and some of the hardest work out there. Um, and their pay rates are lower. Um, we, we and other providers, we rely on community mental health and essentially that means state and federal funding going to, through community mental health to, um, to be able to reimburse us to provide these services. Those reimbursement rates are 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 not uh, not sufficient to be able to hire and support quality good uh, programming for our folks um, at wages we would desire. It's it's a real um, predicament to be in as a provider where we would desire to pay our our individuals our our team members. Um, a higher higher hourly rate, um, but because of reimbursement rates, we really struggle to do that. Now, I will say some strides have been made. Um, Michigan had a 50 cent increase for this workforce over the last two years. Any caregivers um, providing services under Medicaid, that was great. Um, but it's still, you know, a drop in the bucket. These are some of the lowest paid folks we have out there. Well, and, and when you, again, look at the importance of this work, I mean, it seems as if there is a potential for a public awareness campaign um, to educate people on on this situation. One, to recruit people, because there are a lot of people that, that would love to do this kind of work and like doing things for other people. It's not always just about the pay, but at the same time, raising awareness of where people are that do this work in terms of their pay to, to Get people on your side that maybe some additional state funding that fills that gap or, or federal funding to fill that reimbursement gap might be something worth doing. Uh, I, I assume that Samaritas would be intrigued about helping something like that happen. Absolutely. And we are at the table advocating uh, for sure. Um, yeah, any increases to the reimbursement would help. And um and, and, you know, I think back in my own career, Craig, I, I started out actually in this field, a direct service provider um, for community supports way back, you know, when, when I was um, still in college. Um, but we see less and less college students even coming forward to get experience in the careers they're going into. Um, and that's because um, the other thing that we have as attention external to us is you know, services in um, in the business market are paying more, right? You can go to McDonald's uh, and make $15 an hour and have some reimbursement for college. Um, so our service market has such a need as well, meaning our for-profit services out there um, that you and I use every day, um, that they can afford to increase payment. And then we um, tend to not see the typical candidate that might come to us to provide some service supports in the community for someone with a disability because they can get a, a few more bucks an hour or a dollar even even more an hour um, at some of those places like um, like any of the big box stores or any of the big chains, you know. Um, 
And that's a detriment in two ways in my, my view is it's um, difficult for me to imagine being in this career without all of the experience I had early on in doing some of this direct work so that I struggle with that for our next generation, that it's really useful to have some of this direct support work with people with disabilities as they move in their career in social work and education and all of those different types of, uh, of um, areas, even OT and PT. I mean, it's really an, it's a great piece of experience to have prior to getting into your full-blown long-term career um, to be able to remember and know what it was to work in the field with the, with our individuals that need their support. Um, well, and, uh, mm-hmm, I was going to say, Mary, I mean, it's, it does seem to, when you talk about that experience, it doesn't necessarily have to be direct experience working for an agency like Samaritas. I mean, it seems to me that there is a potential population of, of people who are getting close to the age of retirement, or maybe, you know, they've been looking for that sort of second act in their in their career after their jobs are maybe no longer with them, but they've had experience taking care of an aging parent in many situations or taking care of, of, of a child, and, and they've got some experience in caregiving. They might be good potential applicants for this kind of stuff. Absolutely, and that is the, that is the workforce we're trying to um, uh, look at as well today. I, I think it's, a, like I said earlier in our, in our time, uh, creativity is the way we're going we're gonna to sure. get this. Um, and make sure folks are cared for and taken care of um, in our service lines. Um, absolutely, or, uh, someone who is toying with retirement but doesn't really want to be done with work, right? This is a great opportunity. These are not; these don't have to be full time positions. They don't have to not be full time positions. We're actually very flexible in um, in our uh, offering to our candidates and our, our applicants for these positions. As you can imagine, we're working with people. Their lives are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They may need support for a couple hours during that time, or they may need support all day long. Um, But we can find a fit for anyone looking for maybe part-time employment um, or just even a few hours a week. Um, And especially that workforce that isn't quite ready to retire because they don't they don't want to be done with work, but they don't really want to work that full-time job anymore. This is a great way to feel fulfilled still every day and, and know you're making a difference in your community. I, I am passionate about that. It's really um, one of the jobs that you really can walk away from and know you made a concrete difference for an individual in the community uh, during your time working. And I don't know that we all get that fulfillment out, out of our, our day jobs. So um, it's a pretty cool thing to be able to walk away and know you've you've made that difference. Well, well and Mary, not to mention, I mean, the potential to just make some lasting uh, and, and, you know, really deeply personal relationships with somebody that you're helping. Uh, and, and, you know, you learn something about yourself in that situation. It's so true, right? Um, I'm a social worker and as much as it, um, I'm interested in supporting people and their life, I get something out of that every day. So our caregivers, for sure, they, they do this because it fulfills them. It, it fills their cup, if you will. It makes them know they're creating a difference. And you talk to any one of our direct support professionals and caregivers, and what I hear resoundingly is, my, my people I'm supporting are just like family, and they truly are um, to, to all of our folks doing this work. Um, it's a really cool relationship that develops, and, um, and, it's, and it's a pretty exciting thing to be a part of. Um, and so, yeah, it's trying to make sure that message gets out there. So individuals thinking about what can I still be doing to contribute back? Um, maybe, maybe I'm done with the 40-hour you know, 
um, rat race. <laughs> um, but this is an opportunity to still give back, make a little money while you're doing it and, um, and feel like at the end of the day, you can sleep well because you've just made a difference um, in your own community. And that's, that's a pretty cool feeling. Uh, well, you know, obviously there's a ton of people out there that would probably love to do this or have thought about doing something like this for a long time, didn't know where to go, how to get involved. I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell them exactly what they need to do if they want to be a part of this. Yeah, absolutely. So Samaritas.org is our website and um, there's a real easy box to click right when you get on that website that says job opportunities. If you go there, you can see we have multiple positions open across different areas of the state. Um, I mentioned we have adult foster, we have 12 adult foster care homes across the state. We serve in five different counties. We serve individuals in their own home. We call that support services. That's really community living support services. Um, where we can go into someone's home and support them in their independence, get them out in the community and out active with their community. Um, we are in locations such as, um, and I'm going to forget some here, Craig, but Muskegon, um, we're in Monroe, we're in Midland, we're in Bay City, Gladwin, um, Scottville, Traverse City. We're all over the state providing this kind of support to people with um, intellectual and developmental disabilities, and, and we really need help doing that. And the communities these folks live in um, benefit from that support that anyone can can give um, so that these folks can be active in their own community. Well, Mary, we always appreciate uh, talking to Samaritas about uh, things that they've got going on. It's incredibly important work that's being done uh, all over the state, as, as I mentioned um, uh, in, in the message that I put out in front of my show every single day. I've learned a lot about what you guys do. And uh, this is a, a problem that we need to highlight. And hopefully we can get uh, moving on a solution here. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Craig. Yep, the work I do, I'm humbled by daily, and um, it's a great mission and a great cause. And so um, I really appreciate, Craig, that you help us get our message out there. So thank you for your well, time. Uh, no problem. I should remind folks, my guest has been Mary Mullet, who, of course, is the Vice President of Community Services for Samaritas. And we appreciate you being with us today. Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey, thanks for sticking around as far as you have so far. I certainly do appreciate the fact that you were with me today. And so thanks for that. Uh, earlier today, I had an opportunity to go tour the Fiat Chrysler Mack Avenue plant. It used to be Mack Avenue Engine. Of course, it has been idled since about 2012. Um, but they are rehabbing it, obviously. It's going to be this new facility that's going to be an assembly plant, a full-blown assembly plant that is going to produce the new Jeep Grand Cherokee and a soon-to-be-named three-row SUV, larger SUV that Jeep is going to be putting out in the next couple of years. So this place is going to be hopping. 
and it was interesting to see how much progress has been made. Remember, the announcement for this plant was just made a couple of months ago, uh, and uh, they have been hard at work ever since. So I got an opportunity to take a look at it today. And just to give you an idea of what we're talking about here, um, this is going to be 3 million square feet. This is going to be a very large facility, uh, and it's, it's pretty impressive what they've been able to do so far. Now, I put up a video earlier today on my Facebook page if you want to watch it. It's not the most exciting thing in the world to watch, but it was the first piece of steel going up with the new paint shop that they are building on the site. Work has already been done to retrofit a couple of the existing buildings to be the new body shop, and of course, then there's going to be the actual assembly uh, portion there that's going to be happening as well. But again, 3 million square feet, that's about 53 football fields indoors. And they've got 114,960 square feet of that completed at this point in time. But just to give you some idea of what we're talking about here, again, 30,100 linear feet of underground piping going in. They've already moved 485,000 tons of dirt or 9,700 trucks full of dirt. Most of that, of course, is the berm that used to be along St. Jean Street over there, which is now going to be permanently closed. And that berm was put up originally to be a buffer between the neighborhood, that's Beneteau Street over there, and the Fiat Chrysler assembly plant, Jefferson North, and of course the Mack Avenue plant that is just on the other side of Mack Avenue there. They have taken that out. That is going to be replaced by a 10-foot wall for the bulk of it, but where the trucks are going to be congregating, that wall is going to be 18 feet high to block the noise from the neighborhood, try to keep some of the, uh, obviously, pollution issues, noise pollution issues out of there. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see, an 18-foot wall, how high that is, how that impacts the neighbors over there. But one of the promises that was made uh, at this by Chrysler was that they were going to do their best to make sure that that wall is what they call softened. So there'll be vines growing on it. They'll have some plants. They're going to reforest a number of, of acres over there and uh, in a hopes of, of creating, again, that buffer that a lot of people might want between them and this factory expansion that is taking place. 5,000 jobs at stake. They've been meeting regularly with people in the neighborhood to get their feedback on the plan so far, minimizing the amount of disruption to their lives. But um, anytime you have this kind of an expansion going on in your backyard, it's not going to be an easy thing. So getting a chance to look at it today, it was actually pretty impressive and, and very informative to find out what's going on. But the one thing that I want to talk about today that I was actually most excited about um, was some of the plans that they have to mitigate the environmental harm from this place. This place is going to be roughly one-third. It's going to put out about one-third of the emissions of a traditional assembly plant. So they've been able to reduce the particulate matter by two-thirds, um, and that's a big deal. Uh, obviously, they're going to be addressing the noise pollution thing there, too. But the other thing that they want to do is recapture as much storm runoff water as they possibly can and recycle that water. So I'm going to sit down uh, when they get started on some of these projects with a man named Greg Rose, who's the Director of Environment, Health, and Safety at Fiat Chrysler, to get a better sense as to how they're going to mitigate some of these problems. Shoehorning a, an auto plant, even if it's been existing, into an existing neighborhood is never an easy thing to do. It's obviously a lot easier to locate these out in some open space somewhere. Uh, that's what makes this project so unique and why it is going so quickly. They want to minimize the disruption to the neighborhood. They are going to be rolling vehicles off this assembly line by the end of next year, which is remarkably fast given where they stood today. Like I said, we saw the first steel beam go up on one of the three buildings that's going to be primarily utilized for this. But on the environmental side, some of the cool things they're talking about are things that I was working on in my former career, trying to encourage people to create like water retention basins 
and uh, things like that to reclaim stormwater, uh, to avoid the stuff being run off into the city sewer system, and also, frankly, to, to protect groundwater and, and everything else and the water supply. That's a big deal for a factory like this to do that. So we're talking about massive, massive potential water retention gardens, places with paths to go through that the neighbors can look at and, 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 and utilize. So that's going to be a neat feature that's going to be going on. So when we get a little bit further along in the construction, I'm definitely going to be going back to talk more about some of the environmental aspects of this because that is a big deal. And that's the one thing that the neighbors have been most concerned about is how is this going to impact their health? Is this going to be something that's a major disruption in their lives from a noise standpoint, from a pollution standpoint, and of course from a job standpoint? So we'll be following up on all of that, um, but in the meantime... If you want to take a look at the video that I put up today, it's not the most exciting thing, and the visit wasn't the most exciting thing, but it was neat to see how fast they are working and just the scale of the change that is taking place in this building and as rapidly as it is taking place. For me to imagine this place being done in a year, I can't, but I have this weird feeling that they're going to meet it. Anyway, just wanted to give you a quick update. There's a couple of photos. You can get a sense of it at DeadlineDetroit.com if you want to take a look at that as well. We took a few pictures out there today. But it was neat to get that update and to uh, get out in the field a little bit every once in a while. It's always a lot of fun. So I hope you enjoyed it and uh, take a listen. We'll be back tomorrow. Don't forget, coming up on Friday, the week that was here with uh, Nancy Derringer, myself, and Alan Lengel. That's always a lot of fun. There's plenty of stuff to talk about this week. And um, we're going to be talking a little bit about government transparency or potentially lack thereof when it comes to things like, oh, deleting emails, deleting text messages, urging people to delete text messages the mess in Oakland County. There's going to be a lot of stuff that we get to. So stick around for that this week. All right. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk again tomorrow. Hey there, my name is Seth Ressler. Hi everyone, it's Becky Scarcello. I am new to the Detroit area. And I've been here my whole life. So we started a podcast together. It's called The D. Brief. Detroit's arts and entertainment podcast. We cover concerts, comedy, plays, food, drink, all kinds of stuff. All the cool events around town, things to do, and the people that are doing them. Can we talk about some of the people we've had as guests on this podcast? Hey, this is Mark Kurlianchik, the restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press. Hi, I'm Amanda Lisi, and I host Essential Music on 1019 WDET. Hi, this is Mark Ridley of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Hey, this is Kate Williams, executive chef of Lady of the House. Hey, this is Mel Town from WRAF in Detroit. This is Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box. This is Carmen Hart. Curator of film at the Detroit Institute of Arts. President and founder of Valentine Distilling Company. The general manager of innovation experiences for the Henry Ford. Arts and entertainment editor at the Detroit Free Press. The Michigan Science Center. Arts Beats the Detroit Detroit Public Theater. Detroit Theater. Shakespeare in Detroit. If you like going out in the city of Detroit, you're going to like this podcast. The Debrief Podcast. We like to say Detroit's moving. Keep up. The Debrief. Your guide to Detroit's art and entertainment scene.